0: You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices.
1: Prosperity in Black America. How do Black people gain more power to help make these changes? This requires a lot of political will and courage. I'm that provocateur of change. I am Cindy Bright. Welcome to Heartbeat. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Heartbeat. I am your host, Cindy Bright. Thank you for joining us tonight on this conversation and this journey of prosperity for Black America. Here in the Seattle area, and I think across the country, but particularly here in Seattle, where we have a lot of tech companies, we're all reading in the news every day about the mass layoffs that are occurring. What are the implications to this for our community? We'll talk a little bit more about that in the second half of the show. But in the first half of the show, we're honored to have uh, Ollie Garrett joining us this evening. And I'll explain why this is important. Uh, Ollie Garrett is the CEO of Tabor 100. She also sits on the Liquor Cannabis Board. And she's here this evening with us tonight to share with us the social equity application process. That is coming forward from the state of Washington. This is important for us as a community to pay attention to because what she's talking about is. Um, These are my words, but it's an option to full-time jobs. It's a way to access some equity and um, stand up businesses of our own. I'll let her talk more to that, but I wanted to just give you that kind of context as we start tonight. So let me just uh, warmly welcome and introduce to those of you who don't know her, to those of us who do, let's welcome Ollie Garrett into Heartbeat this evening.
2: Thank you, Cindy, for that. And uh, thank you for having me here this evening.
1: Thank you for joining us, Ali. What's that uh, phrase? It takes a village. And I know you have been out doing a lot of work on behalf of Black community in this area. But I I wanted to give you an opportunity to come tonight and talk about some of the work that the LCB is doing uh, and this whole social equity platform and process that is forthcoming. Please talk to our community about it and just let me know when you want us to show some of the slides about some of the dates and deadlines and so forth that are going on.
2: Great. So let me start by um, briefly giving you an overview of myself, my passion. I've served on the LCB board since August of 2016. One of the key reasons that the governor appointed me to the board was to bring my advocacy and business experience to the board as policy was being developed and regulations that was going to be impacting the industry that we regulate. Uh, As you said, I am a longtime small business owner. I'm CEO of PMT Solutions i um I've my I'm on my eighth term as President of Tabor One hundred, which is an association working to further economic power educational excellence, and social equity. I've been over the years recognized and the recipient of various awards uh two thousand and fourteen women of valor award uh, from Senator Cantwell, 2012 recipient of the Woman of the Year Award from the Bellevue Business Professional Women, 2008 recipient of the Seattle Rotary Service Above Self Award. And I'm saying this so that uh, the, you and your audience can understand the passion that I have for women in minority business. That's why I dedicated my leadership and so much time and effort to Tabor 100. And it was with this passion and drive that has been driving me at for social equity and social equity leadership at the Liquor Cannabis Board. And one of the things, Washington State, to give you a history, regulate uh, the adult use of cannabis and looking at the system the adult use of cannabis, there was probably over $1.5 billion in sales, generating about $500 million in excess tax, and it wasn't racially diverse. In 2019, after five years of sales, the board took a look at the marketplace and retailers in this industry was thriving, but we wanted to understand how racially set up the system was and how racially diverse the system was due to the fact that racial minorities were disproportionate harmed by the war on drugs. And when we took a look at the data and after reviewing the data, what we saw was only 4% of self identified in the industry was black, four percent was multiracial, and two percent was Hispanic. So, what we did in 2020, in an effort to learn what happened and to hear directly from the community, we did a series of outreach meetings facilitated by Dr. Caprice Hollins and we listened to the community. At the outreach uh, meetings, we heard firsthand from people who was left out of the system, despite the communities that they're from was being disproportionately harmed by the war on drugs. Uh, I-502 did not include any provision for social equity or opportunity for those communities harmed by the world drugs to benefit from the legal legalization of cannabis, And that was an opportunity that was lost. So to address that, the agency created... Uh, introduce House Bill 2870. And from listening to the community, hearing all of the stories that we heard about the harm that was done to them, being left out of the industry, we introduced the Bill 2870 that became a law, and it created what was called the Social Equity Task Force. And from that task force, um, they issued... Um, recommendations to the LCB to adopt, to create what we have today as our social equity um, in cannabis coming into fruition. So the rules were completed. We have a third-party independent reviewer that's going to be looking over the application and scoring the applications. We have started the process of going to the communities, putting on different Workshops to educate people, to have them to start making sure that they understand what they need in order to get into the industry. The first set of uh, the applications, we have 44 license that has been held in reserve for this social equity program. And those 47 uh, license we are opening up March 1st, for people to be able to apply for those licenses. The slide that I, uh, if you can bring forward.
1: Yep, I'll bring it right up here. Mm-hmm. Can you see it, Ollie? Yes,
2: so okay. what, the slide is showing you is uh, just yesterday we did our first set of webna- webinars. We had two yesterday, uh, one at ten a.m. and one at seven, uh, and we went through the complete checklist of what people would need in order to qualify and apply for those licenses. We will be using a, a consulting firm called Make Green Gold and they're working with us to host the webinars. And one of the things we're gonna put on four of those, there's gonna be another set coming up. I think it's in a couple of weeks of, And that's where anyone who's interested can sign in on our website, register for it. Yesterday, I think we had about 232 people that attended the webinar. So the next one is January the 28th at 10 a.m. and one is going to be at 7 p.m. You definitely need to register. You can go onto our website and register for it. But it's going to cover all of the specifics about the application process, the qualification for a social equity and cannabis license, the documents that you're going to need to gather, uh, and additional information and any other questions and, uh, you might have on how do you qualify and what do you need to do to make sure you're ready. The license allotment, we that the map would be available for that on the website. We've actually sent out letters to all of the local municipalities to let them know this is coming. So they are read, uh, ready for this when, we, when you start looking for locations. You're going to find on the website... Um, what's called the DIA map where you can take a look to see if you lived in a DIA and meet some of the requirements that's going to happen to go along with these licenses in order to qualify. And our goal is to, make, to see that we can um, get every people ready, fully understanding what they're gonna need, seeing if they're qualified, do they qualify, and to make sure that they don't miss the opportunity by not being informed on everything that's required to be ready for the social equity license.
1: So can I just repeat back what I believe I heard? I'm going to do it in kind of a, um, I'm just going to say the C spot run version of what you just said. So what you just said is that uh, an application process is going to open in March that will allow, there have been 44 designations for licenses for businesses in the cannabis space to be licensed. And what you're offering is some education around not just how to apply for the license, but what the process is to get the license and be able to stand up uh, cannabis businesses. Am I correct in rephrasing that to you? Yes. Yes. Okay. And so what's important for our community is that, you know, as we drive towards equity, equity means that there is a a disproportionate amount of resources that are given into spaces in this particular space. It's cannabis, it's the war on drugs that has disproportionately impacted black communities. Are there particular area code, no zip codes. (laughs) I always get that confused. Are there zip codes that are designated to this application process of which people are able to qualify for?
2: The map, what's called a DIA area map, is on the website. So a person can go on to the website, they can put in their address, uh, and they can see whether or not that was considered a, what we call a DIA area. We're still looking at that and and keeping um, uh, an eye on that to make sure that we are going to get and see what we need to out of that DIA map. But what is DIA it's right stand on the for, website.
1: What does that stand for? DIA? Disproportionate
2: Impact Area.
1: Okay. Okay. Perfect. So for our viewers and listeners, uh, particular those, I'm I'm going to make some assumptions about uh, distressed areas. Uh, there's are several areas here in the king county area does this include pierce county also uh all statewide. statewide okay yeah. so anywhere and, across and
2: how we the indicators of how we came up with it is the area has has a high poverty work rate it has a high rate of participation in income-based federal programs it had a high rate of unemployment and a high rate of convictions
1: what was the last one? The high rate of what? Convictions. Commissions, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is incredibly helpful information. And from, and you said that there were webinars that people can learn how this process works. Um, let me ask the question, when people go apply for those licenses and they obtain them, I'm assuming part of this is a training program on how to help people stand up these businesses?
2: But they're, uh, and that's separate, and I think it's through commerce, but they're, uh, it's a tech, there are supposed to be technical assistant and all of this information is on the website but okay. commerce is going to have a technical assistant program to work with the people as they're getting prepared uh to see what the challenges are work through it and to do whatever we can to help those that are applying as a social equity applicant to be ready and successful once they obtain a license
1: OK, do you have a sense with um, the other licenses, uh, other cannabis licenses that are out there? Do you have a sense on the kind of revenue that those uh, cannabis stores bring in? Like, I'm just trying to help the community and why this is a, a really good option for wealth building and earning parity.
2: Like I said in the beginning, it was pr- over, I think. When we took a look at it back in 2019, uh, the revenue, I had it here in my documents, but I got the documents now for the process, but the revenue was is very lucrative. Um, This is what happens when I move my notes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I don't You don't have to pull them up. I just wanted to just try to help um, educate the community on um, this isn't kind of like a, you know, to compare it to, I'll just compare it to my company, right? my business, which is a consulting firm. Like when you think about the upside potential in this space of cannabis, in a space of, what has been used against black communities that is now being offered to black community to help get licensed and get into some earning parity and earning power, it's pretty substantial from what I understand. And so this is a phenomenal opportunity for people who, even if they have jobs now, should be thinking about this as an option for you know, I have continued to say that wealth um, and freedom is built when we have our own businesses and can do things for ourselves. So I think this is an option and there are 44 available licenses that come available on March the 1st for the community. Correct?
2: That is correct. Okay. And I felt it was, uh, so in 2019, when we took a look at this, there was over $1.5 billion in sales.
1: Okay. Uh, you mean collectively from all the cannabis groups? Yes. Okay. In well, uh, retails, retail Yes. In the retail stores.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, I, you know, I looked at some numbers. Uh, correct me because I'm not precise on this. Um, And I'll make an editorial comment about it. But I think there's like 300 and some odd licenses available in the state of Washington. And we're starting off with 44 of them being designated for distressed communities. Is that correct?
2: Um, The total license that was allocated for this for the state was 400 and something. And out of that 400 and something, there's three. I don't know the exact number, but that's how we ended up with the 44, is these are licenses that were in use or have come
1: back to us
2: to be used for the social equity program.
1: And is it the intention of the state of Washington to potentially increase that number when these licenses are after this initial number is obtained?
2: yes so that brings me to we the agency just really just introduced another bill uh house bill 5080 and that that bill is to where we can increase the license more retail license uh we can make the license more mobile um there were several things in that bill for new license under social equity to be more mobile, uh, increase it based on the census data, and to have more available than just the 44 that we got back.
1: Has, are, there, are you able to share? Um, does our community, have they started applying for these licenses? Like kind of where are we in the 44? Um, no, the opening
2: is March 1st.
1: March 1st. OK, yeah. Okay. But how many um, do you know this off the top of your head? I don't expect you to uh, pull up any sheets. Like how many of the cannabis licenses are currently existent here in the state of Washington uh, that are owned by BIPOC communities?
2: Well, the percentages, of, I think I said 4% was Black, uh, okay. 4% was multiracial, 2% was Hispanic, very low percentage.
3: Very low. And the so, only
2: uh, we get we get the race is self identified race, but we only get that information when they've gone through the license process and now have to do the criminal background, and that's when we obtain the race. So for the ones that are currently in.
1: So how does if they if they if if the process includes a uh, criminal background check? And there has been a historically disproportionate amount of um, cannabis-related ca- incarceration challenges that are there. How does that play itself out? Like, will that will that create harm for people who have criminal backgrounds in the cannabis space or other any other criminal background to be able to obtain a license?
2: Well, that. Uh, As I stated earlier, part of the qualification is a prior conviction. Uh, The DIA map and things were based on that. So that uh, some folks and when we were doing our community meetings that they felt like that kept them out. But that's not what we're going to be looking at now. That's not part of a criteria any longer.
1: Okay, Perfect. Okay, you know, this is just incredibly helpful information to have uh, to get out to our communities. And I know we're trying in every different, ve- all the different venues to get this information to the public. Right. Um, let's, what is the website, uh, Ollie, that people can go to to find this? If you put that slide back
2: up, it's at the bottom <laughs> of the slide.
1: Okay, so let me see if I can actually see it. Um, I'm just,
2: Uh, Maybe it's
1: just the questions. It's okay. It's on there. I just uh, i am halfway blind, so I can't see it on my uh, prompter. But um, to our community who's looking at it, here is the slide that has the information. The website is on the bottom of it. to our community, the viewers who are watching this, again, I'm gonna reiterate, this is another great opportunity. I'll put this on my list for the last week in February to make sure I re-remind the community that this is opening up March the 1st for people to apply. Any final thoughts, Ollie, before we go to commercial break?
2: No, I just encourage people to go to their website and start looking at the what you're going to need in order to apply and to see if you're qualified and what needs to take place in for uh, in order for you to get qualified those webinars that we're having and the next one is January the 28th though it's going to be very important because it walks you step by step through the process and what's going to take place so that's going to be january the 28th we moved we put it on a saturday the first one is going to be at 10 a.m that day the other one is going to be 7 p.m but all of the updated information and as things update is on the website instantly
1: Okay, I really appreciate you coming on this evening with us Ollie, to update and educate our community. Uh, thank you also, let me just take a moment to say thank you for being that woman out there in our community, that black woman out there in the community who is shaking things up, making things work for our community and helping black America to prosper. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back.
2: Hey guys, Lisa Gordon here, and before heading to Belize, Trey Holiday and I had to make sure we linked up with our good friends over at Market Street Shoes to, of course, grab a few things for the trip. From bags to socks, shoes, sunglasses, earrings, and more, before going on any trip, make sure you stop at Market Street Shoes. Trust me, you'll find just what you need to make your trip not only enjoyable, but fashionable.
3: Pacific Northwest
4: Ballet unveils Giselle Ballet's classic tale of romance, betrayal and immortal love. The New York Times calls it a triumph comparable to an epic film. This stunning production is touched by magic. Order tickets now at PNB.org.
1: Welcome back to Heartbeat. I am your host, Cindy Bright. Uh, this evening in our first part of the show, we were just uh, honored to have Ollie Garrett, who is the CEO of Tabor 100. She sits on the LCB Liquor Cannabis Board and she was sharing with our community some important information about licenses that are coming available to apply for on March the 1st. An important thing for our community to pay attention to, this is an opportunity for a business license in the cannabis space to earn some lucrative money and um, do some things uh, for your lives and for your family. There are 44 licenses opening up, so I'm encouraging everyone to take advantage of these opportunities. Even if you're employed, I say this to people all the time, let's look at, these are coming out in distressed areas. So let's take a look at these licenses and let's get ourselves some businesses uh, to help us to be able to prosper here in the future. I want to welcome in the second half, uh, my heartbeat regular commentators with us as we're going to talk about several things uh, on the second half of the show. Let me welcome in Joy Stanford, Karen Fleshman, and Stephanie Coverson with me this uh, evening. Hey, ladies, how are you this evening? Pretty good? All right, well, um, I wanted to, you know, having Ollie come on and talk about opportunities for uh, businesses, standing up businesses for people, uh, for black people, we're all watching uh, what's going on now in 24 days here 25 days into 2023 and there are massive layoffs starting to happen a lot of the tech company is shedding people karen i think probably in the silicon valley that's probably hitting as well i just wanted to welcome a conversation about uh, the impact that you are already seeing feeling or hearing about uh, people losing their work their jobs and kind of Mm -hmm. what you're on the street about what's happening Uh, I'm going to start with you, Stephanie. Do you have any insight into this whole topic of job loss?
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, So I'm hearing a couple of things, particularly in the uh, tech industry, that uh, women and uh, uh, women of color are making up roughly 45-ish percent of layoffs, which is disproportionate, considering that only about a third um, are in the workforce and less than a quarter make up the technical and the leadership roles. Um, So I'm hearing that. And then also uh, that these layoffs um, are anticipated to roll back what uh, minimal at best efforts have been made in the area of diversity equity and inclusion um, because those are typically um, the one of the first uh, line items to be cut Um, and then also uh, the efforts that have been made to recruit um, folks uh, from various diverse backgrounds um Typically, you know, the easy fix to identify who's going to be laid off is uh, last in first out. And so, you know, just demolishing and dismantling these efforts um, from all angles.
1: I I just want to highlight, uh, Stephanie, while you're uh, answering this question, I want to re-remind the audience, Stephanie uh, does own and run Jamay Pay Consulting. And so she has a firm Uh, that is focused on i'll just say human capital so there's a lot of things that she does in that space and i just want to give you credit for that because you are you definitely have your uh, feet on the ground when it comes to working with uh, marginalized communities people that um, in the business space of um, what you're seeing and hearing karen what what about down in the san francisco area what's going on down there
0: Yeah, massive, massive layoffs at all of the big, they call them FANG companies, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Apple. Um, and, And what is so distressing is that these layoffs are completely unnecessary. These companies have so much cash on hand. For example, last year, right around this time, Microsoft acquired a video game company, um, Activision Blizzard, and they paid $68.7 billion in all cash, right? So it's not as if these companies are hurting and uh, you know revenue is down. It's just all the revenue is going to the 1% and to the shareholders and yeah, they're, they're ruining people's lives by, by laying off people, thousands of people um, at once.
1: I think that, uh, thank you for that, uh, Karen and Stephanie. Uh, Joy, I'm gonna bring you here in in just a second because I want to hear more about your lens from the nonprofit world. I, you know, For those of us who have been inside of business and I'll just use the quote, big business, the very first uh, roles to go Uh, I was just reading an article about it today, are definitely the contractors, right? So that impacts small business. And let's just be clear that many of Black people, Black women um, own our own businesses to get, I would say, to get away from the toxicity of what we have all had to live in. And these are the first businesses that are targeted to uh, be The the consulting agreements, I've heard the term outside in. So the outside in money to bring external people in first to go. So let's just start there. Secondly, as a former HR executive, Stephanie is also a former HR executive. The functional roles, the roles that are not profit and loss centered roles are usually cut too because they are extreme overhead. Again, this will impact brown and black communities substantially. And so to uh, Karen's point about where the impact is having, these, this is why we're having these conversations, because we know where the hit is going to impact and then what the impact is going to be to our communities when that happens. Joy. Let me bring you in. Do you have a sense, you know, I know you work in a large nonprofit or a big nonprofit, I should say, but um, for, and it's a political organization. Are you hearing what are you hearing about any of the um, job layoffs, number one? And number two, do you have a sense, a lens? I realize your nonprofit is not focused on um wealth per se but you are definitely in a political space any conversations happening that you're aware of about how washington state will address and deal with what i'm going to call the disproportionate termination of black businesses brown and black businesses here in the seattle washington state area
4: right now i don't have a finger on that pulse but i will say Um, I'm more at the grassroots level around what's happening with these massive layoffs. Um, I'm from California, so I have friends who have been laid off, could not get in to uh, their email with Twitter and, and that whole drama that happened there. But I continue even this past weekend to have conversations with people who are frightened at Amazon of losing their jobs, whose spouse um, or significant other or partner has been laid off from the Googles and um, the Apples and the Microsofts of the world. So, um, and then what do you do in that situation? Um, I, you know, I I have not heard on our C4 side because we've got, like you said, uh, Washington Conservation Action has both a c4 side and a c3 side but politically i have not heard if there's any bills that are coming up that are going to address this you know uh some of the major things was public safety in our last election so i think it's heavily focused on that um and then our organization is focused on climate um and and, and everything environmental but i i want to it's interesting that we have the conversation that ollie was here tonight because i found out this past weekend that there's only one, I believe, maybe two um, cannabis companies or retails, retailers that are Black-owned. Mm. And I found that interesting. I was like, wait, what? And then to have to know now that we've got 44 licenses coming up, we need to get in on this ground floor, understanding that there's money to be made there. But... I think there's so many questions surrounding it. So, I want to say thank you to Ollie for for being here tonight and you Cindy for addressing that. But I think Actually, we're all going to be touched by yeah, all of these layoffs.
1: It's a good point. You know, one of the reasons why I was asking Ollie about, you know, how many licenses are out there and how many are right? available. Um when you think about it, what we know about equity is that it takes not an equal amount, but more to be able to right the wrongs. And so I think for for our community, um, there's 44 licenses available. And I think she used a 400 and some number as what's out there. So that is still um, my math. What is it Uh, 10%? Uh, So if we think about, but we have to take those licenses, we have to fill those up, we have to apply for those and get businesses started that way in order to um, help leadership in the state of Washington. And look, this is across the country, right? This just got approved in New York City where they've just started licensing or did just approve legislation around cannabis. And so for us to... um, advocate for more we've got to take what's there what's available for us right now and so we need to get word out to our communities about what's available and then we need to encourage people um, who want to step into the space I know not everybody has ever thought of um, owning a cannabis I cannabis. (laughs) I, I, I never contemplated being on tv so it look it doesn't you can start someplace or you can take a step someplace. You just kind of never know where things are going to lead. But it is certainly a way out of Plantation 2.0 that we talked about a couple of weeks ago.
4: I think it's just interesting. The conversation that I had this weekend was, where are the minority-owned cannabis retailers? And then it was, is there any female? Are there any Black female? Are there, like, we went deep. And, and, and we all were standing there like, what do you mean there's no Black female-owned retail
3: cannabis? Just yeah. in you shock, all, you know. Do you all remember, though, the Sean Kemp controversy that happened and in he 2020? And percentage of owner in the one that, so yeah. They, yeah, so they touted uh, this uh, cannabis business that was going to open up, Um in I believe the Seattle area and, you know, like Sean Kemp cannabis, like it was going to have his name and everything. And we were yes. so excited um, that there was going to be this black owned uh, marijuana store. And as it turns out, uh, it absolutely was not. Um, and so they paid maybe Sean Kemp like 5% for the use of his name and when all of this reporting was coming out, I don't think his his approval to be on the license had even come out. And then this was on the back of um, a situation with uh, a black man who actually was a medical marijuana store owner um, prior to 2012, mm-hmm. when marijuana for recreational use had been uh, uh, passed with that with the initiative and so just the way that he had been treated and his office uh his store locations raided um and based on the story that uh he shared just the disparate way in which he and another black man had been treated through that process as criminals yeah and his uh white uh business partners were not
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go to take a quick commercial break and I'm gonna pick back up where you just left off, Stephanie, so hold that thought, we'll be right back. What's up, everybody? It's your girl Trey Holiday. We're bringing back
4: Black Love When We Met. That's right. We need something to warm all of our hearts and to elevate love once again in our communities. We want y'all to go to whereweconverge.com forward slash Black Love so y'all can nominate your favorite couple for the next rendition of this show with me as the host. Let me sit down and have them on my couch and share how their love can inspire us all. Make sure y'all go. Go and get your nominations in today and be on the lookout for Black Love When We Met. Coming at you on Converge Media very soon.
1: Welcome back to Heartbeat. I am your host, Cindy Bright. Uh, Let me bring back in uh, our commentators this evening. Joy Stanford, Stephanie Coverson, Karen Fleshman with me tonight. Uh, Right before we went to commercial, Stephanie, you were talking about the... Uh, we were discussing the cannabis licensing process that's coming out. We were discussing the fact that what happened with Sean Kemp when he um, was a part of this equation and it is kind of the, um, the larger umbrella, I guess I would say is about the snubbing of black people, right? Black people who are in any spaces. And we see that all over the news now, right? We see even outside of the cannabis, we are, Watching, I don't know if any of you have caught uh, what has gone on or what is going on with the Oscars. And so the snubbing of Viola Davis and the young woman who uh, is the actress in uh, Till. So, this common thread around uh, discluding Black people, discluding Black America. Uh, in any of these processes, what are your, let me bring you back in Stephanie and finish your thoughts about uh, some of what you were talking about with Sean Kemp, because this thread of uh, an issue around black people prospering um, is at the forefront of heartbeats conversation every week. Do you want to talk some more about that? Sure. Absolutely.
3: So I think it's important to recognize the disproportionality of uh black folks getting arrested, imprisoned, jailed, um, for marijuana use. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there, uh, I'll just say that from my perspective, um, the, the marijuana industry was built on the backs of mm-hmm. black culture. And mm-hmm. so marijuana, um, uh, was, uh, Cool, I guess, lack of a better word, um, in our community before it sort of reached this uh, mainstream sort of popularity. And so to see this happening and then seeing it legalized um, in state after state after state, um, and I will say really uh, lackluster efforts to pardon. Um, Black and brown folks who are in, you know, who have served uh, jail or prison time um, for simple marijuana possession, while now, you know, folks are clamoring now to get these business licenses, Mm -hmm. because they see the value there on how they can personally prosper Um, from an industry that, again, was interwoven into uh, Black culture, Black hip-hop culture, um, Mm -hmm. as uh, well as, frankly, when we were shut out of um, education for not having the money to go to college and trade school or just shut out of the employment uh, industry um, uh, statistically, that you know this was a way that uh folks made money and so, so when you see that sort of now it's okay it's cool now so right it's fine for them to do it but it was horrific you know when this was happening in the black community
1: were you going to say something joy i was going to say as as people were
4: trying to feed their families and you know that all, all the hip-hop songs say it you know biggie was one of the first to say i'm trying to feed my daughter as a single dad and 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 make this money and i'm being arrested for it um uh, many many of my friends went to jail um when, when i was in my late teens uh, early 20s mm. uh, for selling it and now it's you can buy it on the corner at a store yeah. at a retail shop so i, I find it highly interesting um, but sad that we don't have we don't play a part of it. Like Stephanie said, she put it so well. We it, it was growing on our backs, on the backs of Black folks. So,
1: well, we have an opportunity now. And what Stephanie uh, politely said that I'll say a little bit more candidly um, is that uh, <laughs> I hear you laughing, Joy. Um, is that um. While black people can be locked up for profit, um, it's a big deal. And then when black people are no longer held hostage to being criminalized for smoking a joint, then now the same people who locked us up are the same people who now uh, are getting the licenses and prospering from an industry uh, that they tore generations of families apart for. This is, an, this is an important conversation because even though we don't wanna call it out for that way or we, we call it out off camera, this is a reality of what we're dealing with as a diverse community. And so this yeah. is why it's important and why um, I wanted to have Ollie on with us tonight because we have 44 licenses coming available that go to distressed communities. So we need to get word out about these licenses available. To say to people, you don't, it, they're going to train, did you hear me ask her the question, are going to train people like what to do on it? Like, you know, learning to run a business, start a business and running it. I mean, none of us, I have a business, Karen has a business, Stephanie has a business. Like we've all learned through putting our feet, you know, know. <laughs> right, stepping two feet into it and figuring out what it is that we need to do to be able to, to do it and to be able to prosper.
3: Can I make a quick point? I I just want to put a fine point on something. So mm-hmm. black folks and white folks use recreational drugs at the the same rate, right? Yeah. And but because our communities and the skin that black folks live in are over policed and really? over prosecuted, we are more likely. Um, to be put in jail, have been put in jail for marijuana possession, and even though uh, Governor Inslee did sign um, a uh, proclamation or whatever uh, to uh, uh, pardon folks, um, it was between a specific uh, time frame. You had to ask for it. So I'm assuming to be petitioning courts and governor's offices require an attorney and cost money. I could be wrong. Um, And uh, of, I think the governor's office uh, estimated about 3,500 people were eligible for this pardon program. And uh, 30-something so far have been pardoned. And so if you have multiple uh, misdemeanor marijuana convictions, then you don't qualify for that program, which then disproportionately excludes um, people who actually know this business, grew this business. Uh, before it was legal to do this business, mm-hmm. and they can't capitalize on the fruits of their uh, ingenuity, their entrepreneurship, um, as you know, as well as uh, uh, the the action plan to to get in on this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Everything
0: great. Nicely done. Oh. Every, everything you're describing happening in Washington happens in California, too. Uh-huh,
4: uh-huh. Uh,
0: you know, we were one of the earlier states to legalize marijuana.
3: Right. And then
0: immediately there was this gold rush of white uh, mega investors creating, you know, cannabis delivery companies and and just. Um, expending tremendous amounts of money. Meanwhile, the actual cannabis growers in, in California um, still sell on the illegal market. It's not profitable to do the um, the legitimate business. So they're still um, doing the underground cannabis economy. And uh, cannabis in California, I think, is like a $5.6 billion industry. Wow and only 4% of the owners are black. In Oakland, there's actually a, um, a cannabis um, equity initiative and huge nice. shout out to uh, US Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who represents Oakland, who has been yeah. <laughs> a national champion of cannabis equity. And going back to the point of snubbing black people. So I don't know if you've been following this, but um, Senator Dianne Feinstein is now like 89. Um, She is clearly way past her prime. She's pretty senile actually. And um, she hasn't announced whether or not she will run again. Uh, But Katie Porter, it it was basically sort of common knowledge that Barbara Lee was going to get that seat to become the next US Senator from from California. Katie Porter, who is a white woman who represents Orange County, announced that she was gonna run for Dianne Feinstein's seat and in like one day raised $30 million. Mm -hmm. Is
1: that a good thing, Karen?
0: No, it's not because no. we should be we should be <laughs> gathering no. Barbara Lee. We need Barbara Lee in the U.S. Congress, and I I, I mean I you know there's many good aspects of Katie Porter. I, I like her whiteboard, and I think she does a great job of of you know holding corporations to account, and she's very good at like communicating. But Barbara Lee is like the one person who refused. To sign off on invading Iraq because she did not think that there was compelling um, Mm -hmm. evidence of weapons of mass destruction. Like Barbara Lee has, like you know, she was a Panther. She was Shirley Mm -hmm. Chisholm's mentee. Like Barbara Lee has, like this legacy of service and like deep understanding of women's issues, the issues of Black people, people of color. She's this incredible leader. She's exactly who we need and all the glory is going to like Katie Porter.
4: Another white woman just stepping up to run for office. And and I knew there was something shenanigans going on in the background, but here's a moment for California to have Barbara Lee or there's so many other women I can name too in California, women of color to step into that space and and show that we've got diversity that women of color can can make change and have made change and we're holding court for uh, Mm -hmm. god bless her soul katie porter but come on
3: we could do better we We know better do better yeah well i noticed hashtag hashtag follow black women except for when we want (laughs) to (laughs) lead except (laughs) for when it's actually time to do it
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, there was actually a really good TikTok video by a white woman. I don't know if you all saw this. A white woman younger who talked about how she became a teacher at the same time three other women did, um, uh, two of whom were black. And one of those teachers started excelling like she she would her kids were thriving, like her test scores were out the the off the charts, and this white woman was like, she had some, she felt bad about that. She she felt like that was wrong, and she realized that she had internalized that black women were inferior, black women, uh, you know, were not as capable as white women, and so she when, when this black woman was. Uh, outperforming her she felt taken aback by that and I was so grateful to her for making that video because listen with the first time I reported to a black woman boss I walked in the room I mean I knew I was going to be meeting my boss I saw it was a black woman and my jaw dropped like I I just had an image in my head of what a boss looks like and I was like shocked when I saw her. I think this conversation about white women learning how to follow and learning what is our role in democracy. Exactly. Make space,
4: people. Make space. I don't understand why that's such it's so not normal for Mm. white women to do that. But when they do that, that's when everyone thrives just that one gesture, that's when everyone thrives. And this was the moment for California to me. I have been like, come on, we've got we've to merge women there. Let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. And now seriously, I did not, cause I don't watch news. I did not read about that Katie Porter. I did
2: that $30 million. Oh, yeah.
4: Black women I, take forever to raise money. And she raises 30 million in a weekend,
3: come on. I knew that it was going to be a situation with um, the social media post, her kickback reading the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving mm. an F. Um, and so I was like, mm. now that's very interesting. What's going to come after that? And so it was mm. sort of this attention gathering oh. sort of momentum thing. And then this announcement comes out.
0: Yes. And I didn't I, realize someone I wrote a medium post. About the author of the subtle art of not giving an F is a white supremacist. What? Yes. That's
4: a whole nother show, ladies.
0: <laughs> I purchased it. There was condemnation of her. Day. Take it back!
4: Take it back, Stephanie! Take it back!
3: Uh, how do how do you get a refund for an Audible that you? Where'd you get audible? that book from? <laughs> I, I what? all my coins back
0: <laughs> oh there she is oh my gosh. There you oh, are I'm having a good time <laughs> but, but all of this to come back to you know prior to the pandemic a report came out that said median black net wealth will be zero by 2053 and that was before the pandemic what
3: was that
0: like i i often say racism highly profitable anti-racism not so much like this is it. racism remains a huge source of profit your microphone's not working and we have to we have to address that you know i it's so oftentimes i get like overwhelmed when i think about the intersection of racism and capitalism because i'm like can we just can we just work on ending racism? But, but they are deeply intertwined.
4: Yeah, yes. we're, we're over here trying to build generational wealth still. We're still trying to build generational wealth and leave and are our you able company. to hear
1: me are you guys able to hear me yes, yes. okay mm-hmm. perfect i'm sorry i have to test my mic during the show No worries. um i agree with that karen the notion of racism is profitable and i do believe that uh part the biggest part of why these dei efforts and work towards anti-racism is not funded or supported in business because um while they want to say organizations want to say that they are uh, moving forward. They clearly are not. All of the data is showing that right now. Um, I didn't hear I lost you guys for a few minutes, but I I just wanted to uh, come back to um, the political seats that we were talking about in California. Katie uh, Porter, I think you guys were talking about her performative gesture around the subtle art of not giving an F and how that caught a lot of press. Um, and probably intentional on her part so that it could be focused on uh, getting herself into an elected seat. But we know that there is a black woman who is running for that seat as well. And so I just encourage our communities to pay attention to these gestures. Again, we must ensure that the right people are elected into office, not just people who perform and want to pretend like they um, are going to look out for our communities. Uh, Final thoughts. Uh, um from our team here of before we uh, end for the evening final thoughts about this whole topic of equity in the social equity space.
0: Well god bless Ollie and thank you for doing that outreach and making sure that the community knows about these things and mm-hmm. and could we also give them the capital so that they not only you know, have the license, but can profit from it. And it's not this thing right. with like 5% ownership and someone else is making all the money.
1: Right, good point. I'm hoping that her webinar, hoping that that's covered in that process, that there's actually lucrative money put behind it. Look, um, we're at the hour and I wanna thank uh, all of you uh, who come on, Joy, Stephanie and Karen, every week with me here to talk about this. Uh, and to our community who joins us for this conversation every week. You know, next week we start <laughs> Black History Month. Uh, let me leave Karen wow. on here with me for a second. Next week, we are going to dive into some Black excellence. And next week we are bringing on Uh, some members of the California San Francisco reparations committee and get to hear the phenomenal work that they're doing, that they're leading in California around reparations for black community. I think it's going to be an exciting conversation because we need to ensure that we get that work uh, duplicated or uh, what's the right word, copied here in Washington state so that we can start writing some of these wrongs. So thank you all for joining me tonight. To our viewers who joined, thank you for being with us this evening and we look forward to seeing you next Wednesday evening. Have a good evening, everybody.
4: Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials and residents.
3: That up the sacks I favor black businesses Assuming I'm rooting for everybody black